0: This is Ethan, and I'm here with Dave, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2,000-Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 84-inch.
1: On this week's episode, we interview Bill Moomy, the legendary actor, musician, and one half of the iconic comedy and music duo, Barnes & Barnes. It's Dave and Ethan's 2,000-Inch
2: Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's inch Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are.
0: We did it. We made it to 84 inches. That's seven feet. Wow. I can't believe it. We're already 4.2% of the way to our goal of 166 and two thirds feet.
1: Yeah. Good thing we converted our podcast name to inches. Our theme song would not have been as catchy if we left it as Dave and Ethan's 166 and two thirds foot Weird Al
0: podcast. Oh, absolutely. Now we had quite a historic episode the last two weeks where we brought Bermuda back and he shared amazing rare Weird Al audio clips and our listeners just could not get enough. It's always a treat to have Bermuda on the
1: podcast and I love it when he brings with him rare clips from his audio archives. They're so much fun.
0: Oh, so Dave, what was your favorite rare clip that Bermuda shared this time?
1: I think it had to be the eight seconds of silence that our intern
0: Frank accidentally left in last week's episode. Oh, yeah. Now, that was obviously the rare and unreleased audio from the Off the Deep End album when they were recording the silence between You Don't Love Me Anymore and Bite Me. Now, after we recorded, Bermuda decided that that was just too rare to release, but unfortunately, our intern Frank didn't get the memo in time.
1: Well, then it's a really good thing that Frank fixed it after only a few hours. Now, that exclusive clip of 8 Seconds of Silence will only be available to our Patreon supporters at the $27 level. So if you want to hear those 8 Seconds of Silence, be sure to head on over to our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash 2000inch
0: and subscribe at the $27 level. That's really great that we're making that clip available. It'll definitely have to hold people over until next time Bermuda comes on with his rare clips. Now, I have not stopped hearing buzz from our listeners about our upcoming bonus episode series that we are also doing with Bermuda, all about his brand new book, Black and White and Weird All Over.
1: Yeah, this is so much fun. We're actually sitting down with Bermuda and we're going page by page, picture by picture through his brand new book. And he's giving us all these great insight about every picture in the book. We expect that that bonus series of episodes will drop next year. So make sure you get your book or ask for it as a Christmas or holiday gift.
0: Bermuda's new book makes a great stocking stuffer. As long as the person you're getting it for has a very large stocking because it is a coffee table book. And if you still have room in that stocking, another great stocking
1: stuffer would be a delicious vegan meal or a t-shirt from Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York. This week's episode is brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped-in-a-quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com or at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a burrito, 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 but every burrito, burrito, burrito can be burrito, burritoed.
0: Whoa, you must have had too many of
1: Amy's baked beans. No, that wasn't me. It looks like we received a message on our official Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al podcast, 347 Spatula
0: Hotline. The 347 Spatula Hotline, the official hotline of Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al podcast, is sponsored by Angel Valenzuela and David Cash, two amazing Weird Al fans and podcast supporters.
2: Hi, guys. uh, It's Jackson. Friend of the pod, you might remember me from episode 69 and from the names listed off at the end of the episode. I was looking at my my Spotify Wrapped this year, where they put together all the statistics of uh you know what your top artists, your top songs are, and Weird Al Yankovic, of course, is listed as my number three top artist of the year. Now here's where it gets tricky. Because another one rides the bus is the only song of his in my top 100 songs, and it's second from the bottom at 99. Now I think what that says about me is that I'm uh, I'm all over the place when it comes to Al. When I listen to Al, I listen to an album, or I listen to a playlist. I I I, I don't I don't put one song of Al deep in my you know uh, smoking playlist or hip hop playlist or or uh, uh, love making playlist. I, I listen to Al all the way through, and uh, you listen to this voicemail all the way through, you should uh, find a better way to spend your day. Have a good one, Dave and Ethan.
0: <laughs> wow, thank you, Jackson. What an awesome message. There's
1: no better way to spend the day than listening to voicemails on the official 347 (laughs) spatula hotline. Let me just put that out there.
0: Now, in addition to Jackson, a few of our other listeners shared that our podcast was their number one podcast on their Spotify year-end wrap-up.
1: How awesome. Uh Thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast on Spotify.
0: Yes, and our favorite listener from Chile, Andres, sent us his screenshot, but... It was in Spanish, so I really have no idea what it said.
1: All right, well, let me take a look because I took five years of Spanish, so I think I can figure this one out. Oh, good. Buenos noches, senor. Bienvenido a El Burrito's Casa de Salsa. Tenemos muchos platos muy sabrosos. Si puedo recomendar el ardiente pollo al inferno muy delicioso. Su ojo se quemarán. Su estomago estará en fuego. Se quedarán en el baño por una semana. ¿Entendes lo que digo, gringo estúpido tonto? Ah, oh, wonderful. That sounds very positive. Thanks for sending that our way, Andres. And we also received another Spotify wrap up from vincent anderson and his says that he listened to 47 episodes for a total of 3197 minutes
0: wait only 47 episodes wait which five episodes were beneath you vincent each week we pour our heart and soul into finding amazing guests for the podcast and you just decide willy-nilly that five episodes weren't good enough for you
1: I mean, all we ask in return is that you take about one hour out of your week to listen to our award-winning voices discuss the majesty that is Weird Al and everything related to him.
0: What happened to the other five episodes, Vincent? What's more important than that? Go on, we'll wait!
1: I mean, at least Andres listened to all 52 episodes.
0: Well, maybe... Vincent listened to those five episodes on the official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast YouTube page over at youtube.2000inch.com, where you can listen to every episode to date going all the way back to episode one inch. Now, that
1: is the only logical conclusion. I know our friend and Weird Al superfan, Vincent, wouldn't slight us like that, right? Right? Uh, Calm down, Dave. (laughs) All right, well, let's check out what's going on in Weird Al news this week.
0: Yes, Al retweeted a link to his appearance in a brand new music video.
1: The mashup band Rock Sugar released their video called Shout at the Devil Dog All Night, which is a fun mashup of four classic songs and features celebrities such as Mark Hamill, Tress McNeil, Michael Starr of Steel Panther, and Ian Ziering from the iconic Sharknado series of movies.
0: And yes, also an appearance by Weird Al with his purple hair, courtesy of his daughter Nina.
1: Wow, so Al still has his purple hair. Cool. In other news, two-time Grammy Award-nominated Jim Kimo West appears on Anita Lurch's new CD, Love Is My Religion, dropping on Friday, December 11th.
0: Now, Kimo not only produced the record with Anita, he also played guitar, bass, keyboards, percussion and he arranged the string parts. This album, Love Is My Religion, is available for pre-order in iTunes and available everywhere on Friday. Speaking of two-time Grammy Award-nominated Jim
1: Kimo West, his holiday livestream show is coming up this Sunday, December 13th, at 7 p.m. Brito Brito Time, 4 p.m. Hollywood Star Time. Chemo will be performing holiday classics from his Christmas albums, along with several other great chemo tunes.
0: And tickets are only $15, plus with that purchase, you get 20% off any merchandise. What a great opportunity to pick up Jim's USB drive with all of his music. For more details, check out jimkimowest.com.
1: And there's another great digital event coming up. Our favorite musical Transformers, Hot Rod and R.C. and the rest of the Cybertronic Spree, guests from episode 80-inch, have a live stream coming up this Friday,
0: December 11th. Yes, this one starts at 9 p.m. Burrito Burrito Time, 6 p.m. Hollywood Star Time, and you can purchase tickets by heading to livefrominside.ca. We will have Zoom video chats set up
1: for both of these awesome events. So watch our Facebook group over at group.2000inch.com for the links and information, and everyone, you are all invited.
0: And remember, this will not be a link to watch the show. You will have to purchase your tickets separately and watch the actual show on a different tab or device. This is just a hangout for all of us who are also watching the shows.
1: And who would not want to hang out with Dave and Ethan and all of our amazing listeners?
0: Who wouldn't want to hang out with us and our listeners? Well, I can name a few. So first off, I would say... No, no, all
1: all right. It is time to move on to this week's guest. And we are so thrilled to welcome our next guest to the podcast. Not only is he a veteran of over 400 television episodes... 18 films, tons of commercials and voiceover projects, and a longtime friend to Weird Al. He is also a prolific musician, a singer, a songwriter, and he's been heard countless number of times on the Dr. Demento show as Art Barnes, one half of the iconic comedy and music duo, Barnes and Barnes, it is our great pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Bill Mooney. Bill, welcome to the podcast.
3: Well, thank you kindly, guys. Uh, (laughs) Nice to be here.
0: Yeah, it's such an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Such a rich career. I don't even know how we can possibly cover all of it.
3: What a long, strange trip it's been.
0: Now, obviously, as Dave mentioned, you're part of the band Barnes and Barnes, which anyone who has ever heard the Doctor Demento show or any sort of novelty music they absolutely know your song "Fish Heads," which hands down is the number one most iconic novelty song of all time. Can you tell us a little bit about "Fish Heads" and where that came from?
3: Um, some things, you know, are almost impossible to kind of define their origin because they become like Mythological, uh, but the truth between, behind the story of fish heads was my my partner Robert Hamer, uh, A.K.A. Artie Barnes, and I were uh, we we were just having a meal together at a Chinese restaurant on Pico Boulevard in Los Angeles, and a fish was delivered to the table, a fish dish, uh, <laughs> with the head on it, and uh, you know it just had this somewhat maniacal. You know, dead gaze (laughs) that uh, stuck with us, and I I give one hundred percent creative credit to Robert for uh, writing the chorus. Uh, He wrote that uh, that chorus, you know, and said he started singing it, and I was like, "Whoa, that's um, that's worth exploring." And I wrote the verses, and there's you know many more that I think that were laid down over the years or before it kind of became the, the, the hit that it became. Um <laughs> but so I wrote the verses and, and Robert wrote the hook and uh when we decided to uh record it somewhat seriously, uh it was my suggestion that we uh use the um chipmunk type, you know, the pedo- setup <laughs> Right. <laughs> with, I was I was a big fan of of uh, Dave Seville and the Chipmunks as a kid and I still play their Christmas album at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I liked the Chipmunks and uh you know Chef Willie's Purple People Eater and stuff. I was of that era. And um so I I suggested we we do a sped up vocals for the chorus. Robert resisted that. But I think I proved, proved to be wise in that decision. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's the way it happened folks in many moons ago, like 42 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Time is a bizarre river and we've known Al since like 1978, you know, Al played on, on some of our stuff and, you know, he's such a fine musician and, and, uh, and a loyal, good guy.
1: Yeah, we want to hear more about all the times that you've worked with Weird Al, but I do have a couple more questions about Fishes. I just want to know uh, what your thoughts were when that song took off the way it did. First, you got the airplay on Dr. Nemento, then you got Bill Paxton to direct the video, and the video debuted on Saturday Night Live. Just how was that experience? It
3: was good. Um, You know, Billy was just a a young Texas wannabe actor-filmmaker that um, I had initially met um, through uh, Sissy Spacek and my girlfriend at the time, Janet Baldwin. Uh, we were up at Sissy's house with David Lynch, and David was, was running a 16-millimeter print of a head. And uh, Billy and, and Rocky Shank were there, and um, fish heads had just kind of burst Kind of onto the scene of dementia, so to speak, and uh, and Billy said we were watching with with you know Eraserhead, with, if you're familiar with it. It's a very bizarre early David Lynch film, and uh, Billy was like, "Oh man, I want to make a fish heads movie." And Rocky Rocky <laughs> Shank, who's a amazing artist, photographer, cinematographer as well, was like, "Yeah, let's make a fish heads movie," and uh, you know. So Barnes and Barnes said, "Well, sure, we'll we'll produce it." you guys start getting your ideas together and it was a real collaboration and it was done on the cheapo cheapo on a on a hand cranked sixteen millimeter Bolex uh camera. It was all on film, nothing digital of course, and a super eight couple Super Eight cameras we had. And uh, you know, those guys did a great job and we all added to the concept and Billy was so tenacious he wasn't famous at all. I, I, I don't think when Fishheads was was made and when he brought the film to New York to Saturday Night Live, uh, I don't think he'd done anything as an actor. He might have done a couple of little things, but he certainly wasn't a known commodity or anything. And he was just so tenacious. He went to SNL and he sat in their foyer and it was almost like a you know a little rascals thing. He said, "I I got a I got a project. You got to see." And uh, they were like, "Yeah, right." So does everybody else in America?
4: And, and he was
3: like, "No, no, no, man. You're gonna love this. You got to see this." And he sat there like all day, you know. And they uh, eventually said, "Well, he's handsome, and we're never gonna get rid of him if we don't see what he's got." So they uh, they checked it out, and uh, it was on the air. The next show, and then it aired again. I believe it was the following week. Might have been two weeks later or something. But they aired it twice, and, and then it really uh, it became kind of stuck in the id of society.
0: <laughs> yeah. So incredible.
3: Yeah, you never know what's going to stick, right? I mean, you know, you just never know what what song or what television show or movie or, or anything. You just you, you throw a lot of stuff out there. Creative people, you know, they they. They combust with their energies and put things out. and Sometimes the ones that resonate the strongest are uh, not what you might expect, <laughs> but uh, it's all good.
0: Would you say that to be true for your role as Will Robinson in Lost in Space? Was that something you expected to still be talking about however many decades later?
3: Well, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12, and 13, which is the ages I was working on the original Lost in Space... I don't think you can think beyond the next summer vacation, really. You know, I mean, <laughs> That's true. a twelve-year-old I, I could not really get a sense of what he's going to be doing when he's in his sixties. But in um, face was a big deal, and I had been working over half my life by the time uh, that project came along, and it was, you know, it was such a looked so good. You know, Lost in Space, if you ever go look at the first, you know, 20 episodes of Lost in Space, it's just beautifully shot. And, you know, the Jupiter 2 spaceship and the robot and the chariot and all those things look great. It's got that classic horror movie, black and white, 35 millimeter thing, the music by John Williams. It's one of those casts that really clicked instantly. And you can't you can't really buy that. You know, you can try to put a band together yeah. out of, you know, guys from famous other bands, you know, thinking, well, I'm going to make a new Crosby stills Nash and young or something. And sometimes, you know, you might get a, a something successful, but you, just casting that show was a bit of showbiz magic and it really worked. So I'm not, I'm not that surprised that lost in space continues to resonate and run around the world everywhere for nonstop for so long. Um, It's a great canvas to let your imagination loose in, you know, a a family in other solar systems and galaxies. And, and of course, there's several different tonalities to Lost in Space. You know, some of it was the beginning was a pretty cool, somewhat creepy uh, sci-fi. And then uh, CBS, the network we were on, said, you know, it's getting too scary for little kids. The show was on um, in what they called the family hour, and 7:30 uh, to 8:30, and um, they mandated that we tone down the uh, the scary part, the darkness. So uh, it quickly evolved into kind of a campy, almost farcical comedy thing with with Doctor Smith, the robot, and my character, Will Robinson, uh, as like you know the three stooges in a way. Although I always played it very real. So I think the kids who watched Lost in Space saw it through Will's eyes and Will always believed everything, no matter how ridiculous it got. So I played it very straight. and Jonathan Harris, who was Dr. Smith, played it so over the top that I needed to ba- I needed to balance his his bigness by keeping it pretty uh, down to earth with my with my reactions and my performance. So um yeah, I loved Lost in Space, man. I'm I'm glad that it still makes people happy and and the Netflix series, the recent Netflix series, uh which is just now wrapping up filming season three. I got to be to be the real Doctor Smith in that show. <laughs> what a treat, right? To so kinda cool. come full circle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we mentioned earlier that you worked with Weird Al quite a bit in your career with Barnes & Barnes. There's just so many songs that you worked with Weird Al on. I guess let's start in the beginning, uh, the Gumby Jaws Lament off of the Vubaha album. What can you tell us about how Al got involved in that song?
3: Back in 1979, 1980, uh, Barnes & Barnes used to go down to uh, KMET, KMET. Uh, Radio stations on Sunday nights, uh, and, and be guests on the Dr. Demento show, which it, it, at that point in time was uh, globally syndicated. It was a, a very had a very large audience and was a, kind of a big deal. And Al was there, um, just starting out. He kind of, uh, I want to say we kind of took him under our wing a, a bit, which would, which I think he would agree. It was true, but we hung out quite a lot then, especially him and Robert. And, uh, you know, he's such a nice guy that uh, when we were kind of big celebrities, so to speak, on on Dr. Demento, I think Al was happy to be a part of our little Lumanian energy. Uh, We did some tributes to some things with some of the other cast members, you know, uh, that Al was a part of musically and vocally. And when we were making our first album, Vubaha, which has just recently been re-released and sounds great, yeah. I got to say they did a wonderful job going back to the initial source tapes and mastering it really well. Uh, you know that album was recorded in my living room on a four-track <laughs> tape machine, and uh, seriously, you know, it, it sounds. I'm amazing. not embarrassed by that, but I, you know, but that doesn't embarrass me or anything. I, I when I when I listen to those uh, the early stuff. That, most all of the Barnes & Barnes stuff, really, that was done on analog equipment in my house, you know, I go, wow, man, you know, <laughs> that sounds good. I mean, we didn't have Neumann microphones then. We didn't have the the most expensive gear money could buy then. We just had, you know, some good guitars and some cool keyboards and stuff. And anyway, it came out really nice. The, the reissue of Ubaha on Demented Punk Records uh, sounds great really does so uh, we were working on that project and uh, there was this uh, waltz that was a a, a strange thing I think it was I'm trying to you know it's been a long time but I'm pretty sure that the main instrument on that record was a was an arp string ensemble and a rhythm box and uh, I don't remember if it was you know Robert or myself who said wow man we ought to get Weird Al to play accordion on this that would be really cool um, and uh, it was as simple as asking. I don't think he had his Mazda yet. He had a—he bought a Mazda RX-7 when he first started making some money. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was the car he drove over with, but he came right over and he played great. He's very, very fast learner. He's got a great ear, and uh, you know, Al's a really, really fine musician. Um, and the accordion is such a great. Americana and Europe, there's just a great sound to it. You know, I love the organic sound of that instrument. And I don't know anybody who's ever played it better than Al. So he came over and played on that. And I had written the lyric and uh, Robert was going to sing it, but I had a, a like a cold or a sore throat or something. I'd lost my voice. Uh, I don't remember why I'd lost my voice, but my voice was really shot And so I decided, well, I should do it because my voice sounds like, you know, there's razor blades in my throat and I can barely get air through it. And uh, I think it might might have been a one or two take vocal from me. It's a strange song. Um, It's a really strange song. I haven't heard it. You know, I haven't really listened to it too closely for a while, but it's a good one for sure. It really takes you to someplace strange, you know. (laughs) I I what, something about being on a crowded bus and it's just it's it's a very atmospheric weird perspective lyrically and Al's uh accordion helps uh, keep it friendly. <laughs> He's played on a lot of stuff. I mean, I I don't I should have maybe I knew we were going to do this interview. Maybe I should have compiled a list, but um Al played on quite a few different things on different projects. He played on The Seduction of the Innocent album. He played on Sarah Taylor's album. He's played on some of my stuff and quite a bit of Barnes & Barnes stuff. I don't think he played on Wildman Fisher's stuff, but I know he's a part of the video that we did with Wildman Fisher.
0: Do you know the first time you met Al? Do you have any memory of that?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, no, I don't. I, you know, I don't remember details. I, you know, come on, I got... I got too many people in my <laughs> library of, of <laughs> memories to remember, like, oh, yeah, I shook your hand at KMET. and Or, I, you know, I was at some county fair with Dr. Demento and said, hey, to you. <laughs> no, I, I, I really don't have a, a, a memory of the very first time, but uh, I have lots of good memories with Al for sure. He, uh, you know, we played, uh, Barnes and Barnes played a couple of gigs uh, for Dr. Demento's anniversaries or, or, or some other cause of celebrations. And we used Al's band and played with Al's band, some live shows and, uh, Al, uh, little, jumping ahead a little bit. Um, Al babysat my kids when they were like five and one. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 uh, yeah. Oh, he, 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 listen. He'll tell you. I mean, Al would never deny, but but uh, you know, he uh, he'll owe me for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I I set him up with with uh, his wife Suzanne, right? Who is is actually, and I say this in all seriousness, one of the greatest humans on the planet. I mean, she's just a doll and brilliant and funny and. and just loving and um, there's nothing but you know a plus marks for suzanne she i had met her when she was working at 20th century fox studios and part of her gig was to promote old 20th century fox shows for foreign uh, distribution which was which included lost in space hmm. and we became friendly uh back in the like 1989 ninety. Around that time, wow! I had also fixed Al up before. uh, I fixed him up for with his incredible wife. I fixed him up with an incredible, uh, lovely lady who was a makeup artist on Babylon Five, a television series I did for five years. (laughs) And uh, and (laughs) they used to they babysat my kids together a couple of times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah
0: wow. I can't believe that. So you just, you know, all of Al's love life is thanks to you. <laughs>
3: well, not all of it, but, but the, certainly the the most important right. of all of it. And, oh, and sure. uh, not to discount the uh, lovely makeup lady. Yeah. Anyway, yes, Al will forever be in my debt and rightfully so. <laughs>
1: gonna have to add a matchmaker to your resume as well it's
3: true it's definitely true that's that's uh, that doesn't get much more successful than al and suzanne i mean no nina is a wonderful young lady now and and uh yeah it's all all because of moomy
0: so it sounds like you knew suzanne for a while before you hooked the two of them up
3: oh yeah absolutely
0: what spurred that
3: well suzanne caused that actually she um she she was an executive at 20th Century Fox and she was traveling a lot and uh, her family is is in Texas and she was here kind of on her own uh, and over the course of a handful of years she had grown a bit weary of uh, dating executives and and at the studio and stuff and she called me one day and and. Uh, she said, "Mummy, you know, do you you know any nice guys?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "You know, for you." And she went, "Yeah, for me. I'm I'm tired of dating these jerks." And I said, uh, "Yeah, I do know nice guys, but uh, you know," um, I said, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, my friend Al, Al Yankovic comes to mind." And and she <laughs> she said. Weird Al, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yeah," <laughs> and she said, uh, "Let me think about that." <laughs> <laughs> and um, and some time went by. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is true. Some time went by,
4: yeah. and
3: then she called me back up and said, "Mummy, you think your pal Al would uh, really want to go out with me?" And I said, "Oh, Suzanne, yeah. There's, there's absolutely no, no doubt about that. Yes." She said, "Well, okay. If, if you say so, let's, let's see if we give that a shot." And the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: that is amazing.
3: <laughs> yep, and, and that the, the calls with Suzanne uh, took place on the phone, in the exact same room, in the exact same place that I'm talking to you from right now. So if wow. you guys need to be hooked up, <laughs> yeah, Moomy Matchmaking is open for business on a wow. charmed phone.
0: Have you hooked up any other uh, lasting relationships?
3: I have. You but, have? You know, yeah, I have. I, I really have. But, you know, if I if I tell you I hooked up, you know, somebody who you never heard of, (laughs) it won't have the same effect on on the
0: airwaves. (laughs) No other Dr. Demento alum that we would know?
3: Uh, No, I don't think so. No, none that come to mind at the moment.
1: Well, there's still plenty of time left. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Are there plenty of us left? That's the question. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read off you a couple more uh, songs that you worked with Weird Al, and if any of them, you know, kind of spark any any uh, stories or anything uh, that you want to mention, just feel free to jump in. I know off the Spaz Chow album, you worked with Al on "I Killed Her with Love."
3: "I Killed Her with Love" is is a is a uh, solo. Art, Rob, Robert Hamer, Artie Barnes song. I think uh, Al used to crash at Artie's apartment quite a bit. Maybe he was—I want to say he might still have been in Santa Barbara, but I don't know if that's true or not. But he used to—he used to crash at Artie's pad, and Artie had a, a four-track recorder in his apartment as well as we had here at my house, kind of a matching recorder. And uh, that was a project they did together at His Pad. And it was not a uh, 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 an original Spaz Chow song from the original release. When we uh, released, you know, the catalog was re-released many years ago. And uh, Robert was very, very passionate about including bonus tracks that were recorded during mm. the original uh, months or weeks or year whatever that uh, each album was recorded uh I killed her with love was a, definitely a Robert Hamer solo song that was not a Barnes and Barnes track but um there's a lot of bonus tracks on all of those re-releases that were recorded during the time the, the Spaz Chow or uh, Amazing adult Fantasy or whatever the albums were um and so uh, yeah uh, that's a nice song uh, it's it's not a funny song But it's a nice song, and Al played great on it. I wasn't a part of that recording.
1: Oh, okay, cool. The next instance I have of you, uh, I don't think this song was ever released, but it definitely was on Dr. Demento, the Dr. Demento 15th Anniversary song.
3: That's a good one. Yeah, we we cut that here. Um, In the year of 1970. Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) I, I, I remember that. Yeah, Al played great. Al sang on that. And we harmonized together, and that was just a you know a gift to Dr. Demento, uh, which I think we've done a couple things like that over the the decades. You know, we, regardless of Saturday Night Live and and all the the exterior uh, good luck that it came to us musically, uh, none of that would have happened if it weren't for the Dr. Demento show, because that's what inspired us to send the tape in, you know, Al too, of course, you know, if it weren't for Dr. Demento, those, the hits that Al has probably would never have been created. Um, And fish heads wouldn't have been recorded and sent off. It was just something that we goofed around with for, you know, anyway, it was all, all due to Dr. Demento uh, initially playing the stuff and giving us a, a, almost like a television series, you know, Every uh, we were like a an ensemble of the Doctor Demento players. <laughs> Seriously, you know, between uh, yeah, I mean, Barnes yes. and Barnes and Al and and uh, Damascus and uh, Sulu, uh, at least those that group initially. I, I guess uh, whimsical Will or Beefalo Bill or whatever. But but those characters, you know, we it was almost like the old uh, television variety shows. You know, once a week or a couple of times a month, you know, we'd go down there live and we'd do little skits skits and play live and do things together and answer questions and stuff on the air. So it was like a little ensemble troupe, and um, it was really all because of Dr. Demento.
1: You had mentioned this seduction of the innocent band that you were in, and there's two songs on there that feature Al, a superhero blues and reality break.
3: Yeah, those are both really good. I like those yeah. a lot. Uh, that's going back quite a while. That was 1989, um, and I know it was 1989 because I, uh, I I was mixing that album while my wife was pregnant with our son, and when we took him home from the hospital after he was born, uh, he was, you know, um, crying in the car, and I I put the rough mixes on in the car and he immediately calmed down because he'd been hearing him in the womb for a couple of months as I was mixing the record. Um, Yeah, Al played really good on that Superhero Blues and uh, Reality Break. Uh, They're both kind of acoustic based numbers. Um, uh, Superhero Blues was sung by the late Miguel Ferrer. It's a really good song. I cut that on on an old 40s Little Martin acoustic guitar that was Dewey Bunnell's from America. Uh, And um, Reality Break was a waltz Uh, that was done on a Gibson J-200 of mine. Yeah, Al played real good on both of those. There's some nice riffs on superhero blues that that he added that sound really good.
0: You mentioned Damascus earlier. You and Al were on recently, within the past decade or so, Uncovered song called "Miniature Golf." Do you remember recording that one?
3: Not at all. No, I <laughs> don't, don't remember any. I don't remember anything about that at all. Wow. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even, I'm eating, You'd have to play it for me, but I don't. Uh, no, that doesn't ring a bell. Hm. Or sink a putt. <laughs>
1: All right, so back with Barnes and Barnes, we'll jump ahead to 2009, and off of "Op, Papa Chop," I have Al playing two songs on there: "Oh, the Pain" and then part of the "Nap Noop, The Middle-Aged Man Suite," part three. "Ask Me If I Care."
3: Yeah, that's a that's like a sea shanty. Yeah. "Ask Me If I Care." It's 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 um, again, it's a waltz. I think I've had Al play on several waltzes. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, ask me if I care is uh, is cool. That nap New um, Medley, it's like 12 minutes long. And you know, look, the Beatles did everything first. But it was a it was a place to take you know just half baked ideas that were lying around and and make something out of them that was cohesive. Um, and Al contributed. To that, real, really well, and oh, the pain, uh, <laughs> was basically a nudge, nudge, wink, wink song to uh, to Jonathan Harris, who played Doctor Smith on Lost in Space. He used to say, "Oh, the pain, the pain," all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 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 that was just a ukulele, and and Al, um, that was me on a ukulele that I got in in Hawaii in 1967. Uh, Kamaka ukulele, really good one. Uh, Is that yeah? That now,
1: wow, very cool. All right, and then you mentioned that you had produced an album with Sarah Taylor called "The Cure to Everything," and Al plays on two tracks on there as well: "Haunted by Your Love" and "The Cure to Everything." What can you tell us about those songs in that album?
3: That's a really good album, and uh, I'm I'm sure it's still available somewhere. Uh, you know, it was a self-released project that Sarah put out. Sarah's a great singer who's you know, back in the day, toured with everybody, and, and as a background singer, Joe Cocker and Tanya Tucker, and just you know, I mean, real professional singer. Uh, Sarah introduced me to my wife Eileen. Wow. We've been friends for uh, you know 40, yeah, 42 years now, and uh, she and her husband uh, have a great recording studio. It used to be uh, Jackson Brown and Littlefeet's uh, space out in North Hollywood, and they turned it into this. Wonderful studio. It's called Ready Mix Music. It's got that '70s vibe, uh, but it all and it has, you know, everything from analog 24-track tape machines to the most current Pro Tools and stuff. It's a real nice, real nice setup out there. And uh, as I said, Sarah's a great singer, and um, she had asked me to uh, to produce a record for her, and I ended up writing. I guess I, I, I'd i have to look at it but I, I, I guess like you know 10 of the 12 songs or something and um, it's got some wonderful players on it a bunch of guys from uh, Lucinda Williams band uh, Dave Perlman on pedal steel Jerry Beckley from America uh, and Al um, yeah and uh, you know Al if I ask Al and he's you know in town uh, of course Pre-pandemic, but uh, he's always been uh, very uh, accommodating about being a part of some other music and, <laughs> and coming yeah. down to play. And he always plays great. And yeah, I remember that day very well. Um, he added uh, some real nice parts to those songs, and uh, it was a pleasure working with him as always.
1: Is there ever anything that you had asked Al to do that he's just like, oh, I can't, I can't do that?
3: Um, no. Not that, not that I can think of, because uh, I mean, I if he's on the road, I know he's on the road, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him to do something when he wasn't in town, and uh, you know, anything I would really ask him to do would would be to play accordion. So yeah. I know he knows how to do that. <laughs> <Seriously, yeah. laughs> you know, so if I ask, it's like it's, you know, hey, I mean, put it to you this way, I've never had to say go take a look at your wife and then say no. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I've never had to play that card without.
0: Keeping that in your back pocket just in case. Oh yeah. yeah, It's it's there, but. uh... Now we've talked a lot about your music with Barnes and Barnes, but you've done so much music and I would love for you to tell us about your band action skulls with a, a really impressive
3: lineup. Yeah, some things just fall together. And I will say this, you know, I am a very grateful and prolific songwriter. I, I have kind of learned over the last many decades never to uh, refuse the twitch of the muse. Mm. You know, I can tell when um, I'm, I'm about to like get something from that ether, that limbo <laughs> world of, 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 you know, inspiration. Yeah. And so look, I'm a craftsman too. If you, if you call me and say, Hey, I want to hire you to write me a theme song, I'm quite capable of doing that, but that's not the kind of uh, stuff that ends up on my own records or things like that. You know, I, my my projects that i choose to to be a part of releasing anyway are almost always a hundred percent kind of wow where'd this one come from or i'm gonna i'm gonna ride this one out and write this one so i i really continue thankfully to uh to receive inspiration and um i've been indulgent with uh my own uh musicality since i was a little kid you know i mean there are uh, many episodes of lost in space where will robinson's you know playing the guitar at the age of 11 out there i have a lot of instruments i have a recording studio and uh, i've trained myself t- to be able to play all those instruments to a certain degree of professionalism so uh, thank god during this horrible horrible historical heinous uh, year that the entire globe has been dealing with i'm so grateful that you know i've been able to deal with it creatively and, mm. and, um, go into my studio and, you know, sure. There's a lot of people that are better drummers than me, but you know what? I can, I can keep a groove. So, <laughs> but, but, well, but you know, I mean, I, I'm, I do not want to be calling Ringo and saying, can you come over? <laughs> Cause nobody's coming over. Right. So, so, um, this year, boy, I've, I've been a part of like three albums already that have been started and finished from scratch. And it's so nice to be able to lose yourself and some time being creative, as opposed to like just, you know, reading the news and freaking out. <laughs> right. And, and I, I've, there's been plenty of that too. But, um, but I have been pretty isolated, uh, and I've I've managed to put the time to creative good use. I think. Um, Action skulls. Going back to answer your question, is is a band with uh, myself. Vicky Peterson from the Bangles, uh, her husband John Cowsill from the Cowsills, and Mike loves Beach Boys for over twenty years, and originally uh, Rick Rosas, the uh, the bass player from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and a lot of solo Neil Young stuff, and Joe Walsh, and, wow. and one of the best players you know that ever lived, and unfortunately Rick has passed away now, but uh, Vicky and and John and I. Had uh, have mutual friend uh, who we were going to a Christmas party at, and uh, we went over uh, and sat at the piano and started uh, singing some, you know, Beatles. It always kind of breaks down. You know, you sit down and start singing Beatles. Mm -hmm. Beach Boys, and Birds, and all those B-bands, Beatles, Beach Boys, Birds, Band, Buffalo, Springfield. Right? I mean, uh, anyway, yeah, we, yeah, I, I, I don't think we were on the list that night. But you know, we, we started to just nerdle around uh, at a party as the party was getting late and the eggnog was flowing. Uh, and boy, almost immediately, everybody was like, wow, you know, that's a really nice blend to our voices, uh and of course, you know, John having grown up in the musical family that the Cowsells and, and, and their amazing, you know, sibling harmony parts, uh obviously the Bengals relied on a lot of vocal harmony. And I've always, you know, been a part of groups that sang harmony. It was uh that stuff that inspired me to really be professional in my own way. So we we instantly floated to some nice parts. And uh, the blend between us sounded really good. So, uh, as the night wore on, I I believe we said, we should see if we can take this anywhere besides, like, you know, cover tunes. And so, in the next couple of weeks, I found myself pretty inspired. And, and writing a bunch of, of half-finished songs, like I would sit in my robe, like I am now, <laughs> I would sit in my robe with my iPhone and an acoustic guitar or something, or whatever, a guitar, and uh, record, like, here, here's the chorus I'm playing, here's a verse and a chorus, what do you think? And send it to John and Vicky. And uh for most of uh, what do you think? So they were like, "Oh, wow! This is this. I love this. Uh, let me. Uh, maybe I could write the bridge, or let me write the next verse." So that was, you know, gosh, six years ago, and if it, it all fell together very uh, synchronistically. I was at a gig with America, um, and Rick Rosas was there, and uh, we met backstage. And Rick was like, man, I, I I love your stuff. You know, I loved all the Twilight Zones and, and, and uh, the shows you did when you were a kid. But I, I've heard a lot of your music. I really like that, too. And, uh, you know, he was such a kind, funny, sweet, amazing musician. You know, I mean, his he was legendary. Uh, and I said, you know what, man, I, I'm just I got this this unit, this band, this group with Vicki Peterson from the Bengals and John He goes, oh, I know John, I've played with John, he's great, great drummer. And I, he said, do you have a bass player? <laughs> and I, I, I mean, he really did. I mean, it's almost honestly, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Ringo saying, do you have a drummer? I mean, he, he was just <laughs> he's so great. He says, do you have a bass player? And I said, yeah, it's you. He goes, great. And I go home that night. We exchanged information. I go home that night. And about one o'clock in the morning, I get a text from Rick, and he said, "You know, I I, I don't want you to think I was I was I was giving you any any bull there. I'd really love to make music with you guys." So it was a a gift of of greatness and synchronicity. And the the four of us went into the studio, Sarah Taylor Studio, ready mix. And, uh, you know, with everybody old-fashioned, here's here's the drum kit, and, you know, John's looking at Rick, who's plugged into the direct box, and there's Vicky with an amp in one isolation booth, and me with an amp in another. We're all looking at each other, and it's one, two, three, let's go. And we cut the first album together. Uh, then that album was sweetened, of course, but, I mean, the basic tracks to the Action Skull's first album. Which is called Angels. Here, we're just all cut with you know players playing together and laying down the groove, and it was it was a wonderful experience. And uh, between everybody else's gigs, between John going out with the Beach Boys, Mike Love and the Beach Boys until the pandemic hit, they played 200 gigs a year. You know, from from playing you know uh, the London Palladium to playing some you know funky. Uh, native american casino somewhere but they just go 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 gig 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 so it was kind of hard to get everybody packed together um i know that uh, rick went on to do the uh neil neil young's european crazy horse tour and then he did uh ricky and the flash movie with meryl streep uh vicky was doing some bangle stuff and i did a film and uh, a solo record and uh then Rick passed away, which was, you know, unexpected, but welcome to reality. So uh, the pandemic hit. I, I know it's not the cheeriest story, but it, you you brought it up. <laughs> um, the last gig I played of this year was, was on Saturday, February 29th at the Alex Theater with John Sebastian and the, and the reunited Love and Spoonful. It was amazing gig, 2,500 people sold out. It was the first time John Sebastian and Steve Boone and Joe Butler had reunited in like 40 years and it was a wonderful, wonderful night making music with, you know, sharing the stage with John Sebastian and and that was the 29th of February and almost immediately after that, we were in a shutdown and, and you know, COVID was, was well known and, and spreading around the globe. So that was the last gig I played. And almost immediately, I uh, within certainly uh, within like two weeks, I was writing songs about how this spreading virus would be affecting different Americans. Uh, it was like a short story or a play in a way. Like I was thinking, okay, I'm an elderly person and I can't see my family or I'm, you know, I'm stuck over in Australia. I can't get back. All these, it was like a short story of lyrics that I I was writing from characters' perspectives. Um, And I wrote probably nine sets of lyrics within eh, probably a week, which doesn't really seem like that Incredibly difficult when you when you're focused. And anyway, that's what I did. I wrote these lyrics, and then I I, I, I sat and I looked at them, and I said, "Well, what am, okay? I've got these little pieces here now." And I said, "Well, they they should be they should be represented as American folk songs, kind of like the Dust Bowl Depression era." I, I really looked at these characters and and lyrics in a similar way to what was happening. Uh, during the Depression, so I I said, well, okay, I've got a studio. I can play the guitar, I can play the bass, I can play the banjo, I can play mandolin. Uh, so I wanted to keep it all acoustic. So I started recording, writing. I was some piano on there too. So I started uh, recording these songs. No, no drums, no electric guitars or anything. Just a very folky, stripped back in folky and in some ways uh, almost bluegrass type uh, tracks to these, these songs. And when the first one was done, which was called social distancing blues, I, I, I sent it to uh, Vicki and John, not thinking anything regarding the group, the action skulls just saying, Hey man, you know, I just did this. What do you guys think? You know, I just, Send it off to them, and they sent it back to me <laughs> with <laughs> with great harmonies all over it. I mean, they have a studio <laughs> as well, in their in their home. So I wasn't expecting that, but it came back, and it transformed from this... I, I don't like to really use comparisons, but I will. It, it came back, it, it, it went to them kind of like a Woody Guthrie thing. Here's me by myself playing, you know... A song, and it comes back almost like you know Peter Paul and Mary or something, the Kingston Trio, whatever. It <laughs> has these great harmony parts on it, and I said, "Oh man, uh, what a what a nice surprise! What a gift!" And then I said to them, "So, so you guys, this has got to be an Action Skulls record," <laughs> and they just they just laughed. They went, "You know, you're crazy," <laughs> and I said, "No, no." You have to do it," I said. "You don't. You don't have a choice. You can't tease me like this." I said, "You don't have a choice," and I drove them crazy because it was all done file sharing, right? I mean, yeah. we were never in the same wow. studio for this record, but within two weeks, it was. There were eleven songs finished and incredibly, with incredibly polished uh, vocal harmonies from from Vicky and John. And so, uh, we put the album out, I believe, well, I don't believe, I know for a fact, it's the very first project that addressed, uh, the, the pandemic, uh, as a theme, because every song addressed is that, Mm -hmm. is about that. And it's kind of like a soundtrack to a play. Um, and it was out by, by the end of April, it was, it was out. So, um, that was a, a real creative spurt and I, I encourage people to uh to find that because it's a, it's a little pocket of of americana tunes that i wrote and i played all the tracks uh, they all the, you know there's no uh, additional uh musical tracks from from vicky and and, and john but the, all the the harmonies and arrangements vocal arrangements are from them it sounds really good And if you if you like that rootsy Americana stuff, uh, it's certainly worth listening to. Uh, It was a very creative, you know, project that came out real quickly and real honestly. And you know, when I think about it now, Al would have been a great addition to it. And I say that seriously. uh, The the accordion would have been a wonderful addition to that project. Um, uh, Next pandemic.
1: Next. (laughs) (laughs) You can always do a follow-up album Yeah, invite, invite Al.
3: Well, to tell you the truth, again, uh, we have, Action Skulls has maybe nine, eight or nine uh, full-on, like, you know, rock and roll band tracks that we have done also since April oh, wow. uh, via file sharing. Uh, With John on drums and and, and a few that had been started uh, here earlier, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a third Action Skulls record in process, Um, and they're not out on the road right now, so you know that may that may come to fruition a little sooner than later.
0: I know we can check out the Action Skulls stuff on you know iTunes and Amazon, all the digital places, so people should definitely check that out but this is not the only album that has been born from the pandemic and in your your time at home you also just released a brand new solo album called good grief
3: yep i i sure did and uh um it's it, it's it's com- it's completely different from from any solo project i've done in the past and uh, it's certainly uh at the opposite spectrum uh, musically and and attitudinally from the Action Skulls record or Barnes and Barnes. It's a very the songs came out during this period uh, and they have a, there's a real cohesiveness to the the arrangements and the tracks and I I'd like to categorize it but it's hard to be objective about something you've done all by yourself. Yeah. But I think it has a very uh, a dreamlike quality to it. There's a there's a wash on these tracks that um that has a dreamy uh thing that connects it And i can't really articulate that better than i just did i mean I, I i wouldn't say it's a specific reverb i wouldn't say it's a specific approach to the drums there's a certain amount of mono in the mixes that keep things from spreading too much but there's also ear candy left and right and it's kind of dreamy and uh I've been calling it hard-hitting songs for hard-hitting times, and I think that's that's accurate. That doesn't mean it's a it's a a hard heavy metal record. It's not like that, <laughs> but it's definitely an electric record. Whereas you know, the Skulls project was all acoustic and very Americana. Uh, this isn't completely out of the galaxy of Americana because that's who I am, but. Um, it's it, it's it's a very much an electric record with a kind of a deeper, dreamier state to it. And uh, again, I, 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 you know, I just hope people check it out. I can't. It's very hard to be uh, objective about something that you've just signed the canvas to. You know what I mean? I I, I walk into the studio and I've got a song. Okay, how do I do that? Okay, I'm gonna gonna play a guitar part to that song. Then I'm gonna just sing a rough vocal. Now I've got a guitar and a rough vocal. Okay, what am I gonna do next? I'm gonna find a really good bass line. And I will say the bass parts on Good Grief um, are, are, I think, the best bass parts I've played in a long time. so now I got a guitar and I got a bass. Then, you know, you start sweetening. Well, let's put let's go to the drums. Let's let's lock into the the bass is, is easy. it just grows one little thing at a time until sometimes you look at it or you listen to it and you go, "Oh, there's too much going on here. I want to take that little maraca bit off. Or, I didn't need that extra guitar." But, you know, you try to be objective and and whittle it down to a place where you go, "Yeah, that one goes into the next one really nicely, and you know, I like to think of a, of an album as an album. I know that a lot of people in today's world, you know, they just oh, I, I heard this track, I'll I'll download this one track or something. But I, you right. know, if I'm going to put out an album, it's going to flow from the beginning to the end, and and the the space between those songs and the way those songs flow from one to the next is super important. It's the same as it's a telling a story. You know, it's the same as making a movie. <laughs> you know, you you don't want to cut your movie out of sequence. And w- when you're making a record, you have to find that sequence. I'll, I'll, you know, I used to to burn mixes of of multiple sequences, and then you know, sit in my car, drive around a little bit in my car, and uh, and go, yeah, that, that these four, these first four go together really well, but five should be nine. Anyway. <laughs> It's, 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 uh, I take it very seriously putting an album together. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just, it's just, it's just released in the last week. Wow. And so it's, it's like signing the canvas, you, you know, a year from now, I'll be able to hear it if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, right but having done everything and just kind of feeling good enough to say, okay, it's, it's birthed. You can, you can hear it too. Um, right. <laughs> you know, but I don't think I'll really hear it for another year or two. Let me do a couple other projects and not listen to this for five months. And then I'll put it on in the car or something and I'll go, Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, you know, it, it, it that almost always happens. There's always like a, wow, I really like this. This is good. I forgot about that bass line. And then there's also always a, like, why did I let that drum fill stay? <laughs> or why did I put
0: barking in the garden second? It should have been fourth, you know. <laughs> right,
3: right. And, you know, the other thing, because there's no gigging, uh, and I don't expect sadly i don't expect that to be something that returns too quickly yeah. you know i i've been so um blessed in my life to to gigging since i was a teenager and, and in every kind of uh format you can you can imagine from from playing guitar in sean cassidy's band when he was the, selling ton 10 million records in a year and every night we played to screaming kids at a sports arena, to playing clubs here to an intimate, like the Troubadour or something, where there's a couple hundred people, or even a smaller club where there's, you know, a hundred people, and it's just to, uh, you know, playing the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek theater and all of those different places I've, I've had the opportunities to play over my life. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know when people are going to feel good enough to be shoulder to shoulder again. So I've been making, you know, now I'm just kind of learning the process with the limited equipment that I have here, uh, you know, of putting some kind of decent videos together so that there's there's some way to, like, refresh the audience, you know, like, say, hey, uh, in a month. Hey man, here's a video to barking in the garden. What do you think? Oh yeah. By the way, I'm really trying to get you to hear the song. <laughs> but if I have to put an image of, you know, my dog in it, so be it. <laughs>
4: right.
3: You know, you just—I don't know how to how to reach people anymore outside of social media. Yeah. And you know, a few things like this. I mean, I don't—I—I I, I don't know what your audience size is. I, I, but I'm, you know, here I am yakking. <laughs>
0: It is the holiday season, and I would love to hear about your holiday album that Barnes & Barnes put out last year.
3: Yeah, Holidays in Lumania, (laughs) man. It it covers, first of all, it's always great to be able to reunite with Barnes & Barnes. And I say this with all honesty. It's very much like, let's say, Laurel and Hardy. It's very much like uh, Lucy and Ethel it' it's It's not so much Moomy and Hamer. it's like these characters that we created fifty years ago that are very different from us, but they're real characters right yeah. I mean yeah. so when we make music together as Barnes and Barnes, it's not like when we're working with say America and making music as Moomi and Hamer, it's different it's just uh, it's a real treat to reunite to that energy because it's like playing Will Robinson. It's like Will Robinson and Dr. Smith or something. It's like Spock and Kirk, you know. That's not Shatner and Nimoy or that's not me and Jonathan Harris. Those are characters. Yeah. So Art and Artie Barnes have a very specific energy that that they have, you know, created somehow over the last 50 years. And uh, I always uh, treasure the opportunity to return to that because it's, Absolutely different. I don't I don't play the guitar the same way as Bill Mooney when I'm Mark Barnes. I there's no limitations with Barnes and Barnes. Literally none. None. You can say, which we have done in the past, let's put a rock on this keyboard and put a face shifter on it and <laughs> and just swing swing it from left to right as an under. in fact, you know we've done things like that we let's take let's take a hammer and hit this uh, the leg of this Wurlitzer electric piano as a snare drum. Uh, we have done all of those things and and those are things I probably wouldn't you know. I won't say I wouldn't dare to do, but I just wouldn't want to do on a Bill Mooney record. Right. But with Barnes and Barnes, uh it just the the imagination swims farther out to sea. And uh it started the project again came together very quickly, but it started uh as a response to stopping something that Robert wanted to do. You know, Robert said, um, we've got a bunch of these old Christmas songs. I'm gonna do a compilation of them and put it out uh, to make some money. And I said, uh, well, but we didn't put most of those out in the first place, because they weren't great. Right. And he was, like, oh, they're, he was like, no, they're great, they're great, they're fine, they're great. And I was like, no, I don't really like that idea. Um, he said, "Well, if you've got anything, if you got another one or two, you know, we, we can fill it up." And so, I sat down and I immediately wrote and recorded "It's Christmas in Lumania," the title track, the opening track, mm-hmm. and a couple other things that I did by myself. And I said, "Look, let me just keep going here, right?" I said, "Instead of putting out stuff that was never." A material, you know, that was never something that that we both agreed on. was like, yeah, we're going to put, you know, this out. Uh, let's see what, what we come up with starting from scratch. And uh, so I, within a period of a couple of weeks, had like seven or eight basic tracks. And then Robert, um, who's very reclusive, and doesn't leave his house much, and has some health issues of his own. Um, he came over to the studio, and uh, he wrote like three tracks, which which are great. And then he he colored and changed, you know, the stuff that I had done without him. So it 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 changed and metamorphosized into a you know a legitimate Barnes and Barnes. Legitimate Barnes and Barnes songs, as opposed to like, well, here just sing this part. You know, it was right. He he uh, yeah. he added his talents in terms of the composition as well as the arrangements and vocals to take them to a different place as he always does. So uh, we put the the project together, uh, really, <laughs> from something that I that had been kind of a chipo. Uh, let's just throw something out here make a few bucks to something that we both feel very proud about that. And those other things are still in the can, you know, (laughs) he may throw them out one day, but they're still in the can. And, uh, the new album, I still think it still feels pretty new. You know, it covers most, most, all the different holidays from Kwanzaa to Hanukkah to Christmas to, uh, you know, to just, there's some real sad, Spooky tales on that record of you know being alone at the holidays and having no money at the holidays and I mean it's not a Burl Ives record you know <laughs> right. it, it, it's not a Beach Boys record right. but it's a Barnes and Barnes record and uh, it's uh, it's definitely a one of a kind doesn't sound like anybody else that's for sure. <laughs> no.
0: The vinyl release of that one is so cool. It's like this transparent green with opaque red holidays swirl. And it just looks beautiful.
3: Yeah. John Caffiero, who uh, runs Demented Punk Records, we had met him originally. He did a project with Dr. Demento um, a couple of years back that I think went to like number one on Billboard You know, comedy. Anyway, very successful yeah. guy. Um, he is spared no expense uh in terms of artistic designs the the uh the packages for uh both vubaha reissue and um holidays in lumania are are really really beautiful top notch well done the mastering is 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 great the, the the records sound really really good and he's got you know uh, holidays if you're looking for presents to buy besides the records uh There's t-shirts, there's masks, uh, there's, uh, there's all (laughs) sorts of uh, like Barnes and Barnes goodies that, you know, we haven't had stuff like that in 40 years. Uh, it's great to, uh, to see our classic logo on, on t-shirts again, fishheads t-shirts and Mm -hmm. great newt's Mm -hmm. t-shirts and masks. And, And, uh, yeah, you know, um, demented punk has, has done a really quality job of, uh, manufacturing and 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 putting this stuff together and i'm grateful for that you know it's fun
0: yeah and if people are interested in getting autographs there is so many opportunities because on demented punk for a limited time people can get a free limited edition autographed holiday card when they order holidays in lumania which is just so cool and that album that just came out good grief you can get those autographed as well as your other uh, solo albums and other albums autographed over at gragroup.com. There's a whole bunch over there. So really, People's Trees and Hanukkah, whatever they put presents at this year, are going to (laughs) be completely full of Bill Mooney, Barnes & Barnes, and their digital libraries are going to be full of action skulls because there's just so much amazing music out there uh, right now.
3: Yeah, and they can hear Weird Al Yankovic on Gumby Jaws Lament from the first Barnes & Barnes yes, album reissue. Yes, Zubaha in, what is it, like 180-gram vinyl or something sounding better than, than it did back in 1979. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool. It's nice to have all this stuff. And, and certainly in this era that we're living in, um, which I know will get better, and the, this too shall pass, but for the time being... It's good to have music to listen to and, you know, kind of hunker down and play your play your music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> With over 400 different TV episodes that you've been on, there's no way we can possibly cover every one of them. But there is one that I do want to ask you about, and that is playing a mailman on the Weird Al show.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had to go deep for that. <laughs>
1: Not just any mailman, but that mailman had, you know, a PhD in anthropology, <laughs> a degree in quantum physics, Nobel Prize, Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize.
3: <laughs> right, right.
1: So, what can you tell us about working on the Weird Al show with Al?
3: Ah, it was a fun day, and and uh, it, again, as as I have asked Al, he has asked me, so uh, I was happy to be a part of, of that project. Uh, and it was just a giggle, you know, it was, a, yeah. it was a sure. one day thing and, and it went by quickly and it was great. Yeah. Was, you know, <laughs> I, 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 don't, uh, I don't expect or didn't expect to get an Emmy from it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it came out fine.
0: Well, Bill, we are still so honored that you took time to, to chat with us and tell us about your just incredible career, you know, Fish Heads, Barns and Barns, Action Skulls, Lost in Space, Working with Weird Al, Dr. Demento, and really the list goes on and on, and this has just really been a, an incredible experience getting to chat with you and hear these these stories from you, so thank you so much for
3: joining us. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, spreading some of the music around.
1: Thanks again to Bill Moomy. That was pretty stick and majestic chatting with
0: him. I've been a huge fan of Barnes & Barnes and Bill Mooney for so many years, so that was a real treat and just totally bodacious. I was so thrilled that we got to chat with him.
1: Be sure to head to DementedPunk.com to pick up the Barnes & Barnes holiday album, Holidays in La And while you're there, also pick up the re-release of Baja featuring Gumby Jaws Lament with Weird Al, as well as enamel pins, t-shirts, t-shirts
0: face masks, and much more. Plus, head to gragroup.com for Bill's brand new album, Good Grief, and head anywhere digital music is sold for the new Action Skulls album, A Different World. This week's episode is brought to you in
1: part by Discover Darwin, promoting tourism in Darwin, Minnesota. Not only is historic Darwin, Minnesota, uh, beautiful, it's also
0: austere. Darwin is home to Darwin Dassel Park, the largest park in Meeker County. At 160 acres, Darwin Dasso Park has six and a half miles of trails for hiking, cross-country skiing, and horseback riding. And according to the Meeker County website, the park has a sliding hill which provides a beautiful lookout over the area restrooms. The park is popular with
1: locals and tourists and has a very active official Facebook page with 17 likes. Whoa, another great reason to discover Darwin. Sounds like they finally got the internet. So visit Darwin, Minnesota on your next expedition. Discover Darwin more than just the Twine Ball. And after you visit Darwin, be sure to visit discoverdarwin.biz.
0: Each week, we're able to bring you this podcast absolutely free thanks to sponsors like Burrito Burrito, Angel Whale, and his son David Cash, Discover Darwin, Jackson Scoggins, and our amazing Patreon supporters like Jeff, Chad, and so many more.
1: Revenue from our incredible supporters on patreon.com slash 2000inch allows us to continue doing what we love, which is making fantastically fun, funny, and family-friendly Weird Al podcasts for you each and every week we'd absolutely appreciate your consideration in joining our pretty stinking majestic Patreon family for as little as $1 per month.
0: If we know anything here at Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, it's that Christmas and the holiday season is just around the corner. So this year, get all your holiday shopping done early by purchasing official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast merchandise for everyone on your shopping list from the official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast merchandise shop. Head over to shop.2000inch.com for official Dave & Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast t-shirts, official Dave & Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast tote bags, official Dave & Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast mugs, official Dave & Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast face masks, and official Dave & Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al Podcast more.
1: Find us online at weirdalpodcast.com or 2000inch.com, where you can find information about all of our guests and listen to past episodes. Vincent Please join our Facebook group by heading to group.2000inch.com for episode discussions and other exclusive content. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at
0: 2000inch and at youtube.2000inch.com. Remember to tag fun Weird Al or podcast-related posts on social media using hashtag 2000inch and hashtag Chill. Be sure to share our posts, tell your friends about the podcast, and we love it when you leave us messages via our 27-hour-a-day podcast hotline, 347-SPATULA. You might even hear your message on the air. You already know where to find us, but do yourselves a favor and head on over to Apple Podcasts,
1: Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or the podcast app of your choice and hit the subscribe button to ensure that you do not miss New episodes. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and bonus episodes may drop at any time.
0: Thanks once again to this week's guest, Bill Mooney, and thanks to John Caffiero, and thanks to all of our listeners, subscribers, Patreon supporters, and sponsors, and everyone else who made this episode and podcast possible.
1: Well, we made it another foot towards reaching our goal of 166 and two thirds feet. And how pretty, stinking, majestic is it that we got to talk to the legendary Bill Moomy.
0: Yeah, good thing our intern Frank didn't accidentally book an interview with Bill Mummy. Mummy, where? Ah! Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 84-inch. The podcast by Weird Al superfans for a very specific audience.
1: And the other thing I would like to ask you about is on every one of the Barnes & Barnes songs, it always ends with a yeah. What is the story behind ending the songs with yeah?
3: Well, it seemed to... Be a better choice than ending every song with uh, linoleum.
4: (laughs) Fair enough.